All right, good morning, everyone. How's everyone doing? Good? What great news about Robin? It is a Christmas miracle, and Garrick, I'm so excited for you and the kids and that they get to, that you guys get to celebrate Christmas together at least. And uh, yeah, good stuff, guys, good stuff. Well, today we finish off our Roman series titled Empowered by Grace, and it's been a four-month journey for us. And over these past four months, I hope that you guys now have a better understanding of this book. I know it's, it, was, it was a quick overview. It wasn't quite this in-depth study that I, I would have done with you guys. But at least I want you guys to be able to take away even just snapshots of what Paul had to write to the Roman church. That you're taking away something where it challenges you and transforms you in a way where you want to know Jesus more. And so today, as we finish off the book, I want to ask you guys a question. Have you guys ever had the desire to be established? For some of the older ones here that are retired, living the life, you know, you feel like, I'm kind of established now. The definition of established is to set up or to achieve permanent acceptance or recognition. Or it's having been in existence for a long time and now recognized and generally accepted. So if we look at some of our, the more reputed companies or brands, usually under their branding and the, under their name, they have this EST or established in whatever year it was to give it some validation. Most times, when we look at these things, this idea of establish, there's not a whole lot of progression afterwards. It's this idea that we set down our pegs, this is who we are. But as we finish off this chapter in the last three verses, Paul talks about being established or being strengthened. But Paul's not talking about putting down our tent pegs. Paul's talking about being established as finding our stability. You know when you go out for a picnic or when you go camping or something and you need to set up a table, right? And so you need to find a place on the ground where all four legs kind of touch the ground or else it, the, the table begins to rock, right? It's that type of stability that, that, that Paul is talking about. To establish something isn't just to lay it down, but it's to find a solid place where things don't get rocked, where things don't get shifted, where things don't topple over. This is what Paul has, his, has in mind when he's speaking of being established, that God wants to bring you and me to a place where we are no longer rocking or shaky, or unstable, but solid and secure. This stability that Paul talks about is actually something that is intrinsic to human behavior. Everyone is looking for something to be secure in. 
from which it could handle all the things that life throws at us. The goal of this scripture, these passages that we're reading, is to provide us with a place of security in God, to know who he is. Scripture, in essence, is the story of how God dwells with us. It's a story in which God wants to live and to be with you, to help you, to guide you, to walk fully in who you are because of who he created you to be. So as we wrap up this series today, let's pray. Father God, we are just so humbled by your love, your hope, your peace, your joy. Lord, that as we come to you today looking to know more of who you are and how you establish us, Lord, we give you glory in our story as we understand more of your story. So Lord, we lift this time into your hands. May all glory go to you. May our worship and praise be a fragrance unto you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Romans 16. And we're looking at, looking at chapter, uh, verses 25 to 27. And these are the final words of Paul to the church in Rome. It says this, Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel, that the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but now has been disclosed and through prophetic writings have been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. These are the closing words of Paul to the, to, to the Roman church. When we first started this series, I talked about how in this letter there's four distinct movements, right? Those movements are the revelation of grace living in grace, God's master plan, and living grace-filled lives. And through those four movements, we begin with the revelation of grace and how the letter begins with this declaration of the gospel of Jesus in which humanity is in need of salvation. Paul talks about how as humankind we need this this thing called salvation. We need to be saved, and there's this astonishing thing called grace. Paul presents this idea of grace in which God gives us through faith in Jesus. Grace is a life-changing gift. We're in the Christmas season now, and one of the things that I know my kids are looking forward to is gifts, right? They're all I don't know if you guys got the, the Amazon kind of toy guide in your mailbox. It's actually really well done. I have to say it's well better than, way better than our, like our Sears Christmas credit as kids. Um, but one of the things that my daughter has learned to do is like she'll point to things I want it, and I'm just like, okay, just circle it. I look at that book right now, the whole thing is circled. <laughs> like almost every single item in there that's pink is circled. But there's this anticipation of gifts, right? This gift that we get, and Paul says grace is this gift that you're gonna get. 
It's not something that you earn. It's not something that you, you, you try to get. It's just a gift given to you. That's what grace is. So we remember that grace is this gift. In Romans 3.23-24, uh, it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and we are justified by grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. This gift is this cancellation of debt. We all have debt. It's Christmas season, right? And our debt is actually even higher because we're buying all these gifts. Right? Christmas is expensive, guys. It's so expensive. All the parties, all those things. What if someone said to you, you know what, this month's Christmas credit card bill, the one that you're staring, that's staring at you in your face, canceled. Wouldn't that be incredible? Not only your credit card bill, but also your mortgage, canceled. Not only your mortgage, but your car payments, not only your car payments, but any loans that you may have overstanding, canceled. But not just canceled for now, but canceled for all of eternity. That's God's gift for you. That his grace that's given to you is that he's canceled all debts. He's canceled all sins. That he's saying that you are no longer a sinner, but you are seen as righteous because of my son, Jesus Christ. That's grace. Paul gives us this picture of this, this beautiful gift of grace. All of us, every single person in this world, everybody sitting in this room, we've all sinned. We've all fallen short. There's no sin that's greater than the other. We're, we're all in the same boat. There's no different boats. But God's gift is for everyone as well. And that's an incredible, that's an incredible message. That Paul reveals this idea of grace for us. And then he says that this gift, this gift of grace through the gospel of Jesus is not just about accepting the gift, but to live in the freedom of grace. That this gift is not just for you so that you are, everything is canceled, but now that you get to live in it, you're free in it. Right? It's not just a cancellation, it's, now you have, it's not just this thing where, okay, you're free, but I'm giving you a tool too. That this grace is like a multi-tool, right? It's multifaceted. Not only am I canceling your debt, I'm giving you this thing for you to live with. Because in it, you're going to find freedom. In it, those emotions of anxiety, those places where we get worked up in those relational things. The things that, that keep us up at night. God says, those things don't hold you down. I'm going to free you from all of those things because grace gives it to you. Grace allows you to walk in freedom of the things that hold you down. And God's saying, like, I'm giving it to you. We get to live in it. We get to be in this place where we can trust in who God is and that God is doing something for us. Living in grace propels us to this place where we understand the love of God, 
but it also perpetuates a love from us to God. This is what draws our love to God. When we say we love God, where does that come from? Why do we love God? Ask yourself the question, why do you love God? You love God because of what he's done and his love poured out for you. And because of that, you love them. It's like any other, any other relationship. In a marriage relationship, for those that are married here, you love each other, and that love continues to grow the more you grow in love with each other. That's very similar to our relationship with God. But here's the thing that's not flawed in God's relationship where it's flawed in marriage is sometimes in marriage, we fall out of love and God never falls out of love with you. God never falls out of love with you. That his love is eternal and his love is forever and his love is overcoming all things. And that is something that we can put our trust and our faith in. Because of this, because of this love, under this law of grace, we have freedom. Romans 6.14 says, For sin has no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. And then in Romans 8, it goes on to capture this huge idea. Romans 8, this is the central message of the, the, the book of Romans. It captures this huge idea where we're no longer slaves to sin, but it's called us to walk in a new creation. It's being set free. It's being transformed. It's putting off our old self. It's being established. It's being, so because to be transformed requires us to live in grace. We have to receive it in order to give it. The grace that we are given empowers us because we understand the love of God out of, and out of this love, we love. It's what Jesus tells us to do. Jesus said the second, the greatest commandment is this is to love God and to love your neighbors, right? That's the greatest commandment. And so living in freedom of this is this idea of us as people being in this love relationship with God so that we could love our neighbors. Then Paul's letter goes on and it talks about this master plan or this mystery that's been uncovered. You see, the Old Testament talks about this mystery because they don't know Jesus yet. Jesus hasn't come. They talk about this mystery of, of something is going to come, something greater is going to come. All the prophets prophesy about it. And all the, everything in the Old Testament points to, to this, this one intersection of heaven and earth where Jesus comes down and Jesus lives his life to die as a sacrifice that's needed for us, for all of humanity. That's the master plan. Romans 11 says, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments, how inscrutable his ways. This master plan of God oftentimes is 
a little confusing. It's a little, a little bit of a mystery because we all have our lenses in which we want to see God's master plan. In the book of Romans, they have their lenses. The Jews wanted it one way. The Gentiles wanted it another way. But the mystery that's been revealed, the master plan of God, is that my plan was to always save all of humanity. We talked about this last week in Romans 15, where Paul says the plans were all already written in the prophets and in the law. That our, the plan of God was always to save all of humanity. But it started with Abraham. I chose Abraham but the goal was always the whole world. Salvation was always God coming into the place of earth and saying, I am coming to live among you. That's God's ultimate plan. That he dwells with us, that he's with us, that he wants this relationship with us. That's how he created us. He created us to walk in relationship with him, but because of sin we were separated. And God launched his plan through this man named Abraham. But when we understand God's grace for the whole world, the depth of wisdom and the knowledge of God, there's this mercy that is given through the gospel of Jesus. And when we look at the person of Jesus, We are, not only is it grace in person, but it's grace as an example. It's living grace-filled life the way that Jesus walked on this earth. That Paul always goes back to the person of Jesus. He always takes, brings up, this is what Jesus did. This is how Jesus lived. This is how Jesus walked as an example for who we are to be. Jesus is the example of the church. Jesus is the example of the new creation that was created. You see, there's there, what we call in the church two creations, right? The initial creation of all of humanity, all of the world, everything like that. That got broken, so God made a new creation. He said, let's do the reset. The reset button is Jesus. The reset of what God created is through the person of Jesus. And he's like, it's not when heaven comes back, it's not my second coming, it's not when, when, when I, I come and reign dominion over the earth again, but is when Jesus came, a new creation started, and you already get to live in that new creation. But not only do you get to live in that new creation, that the church is the example of that new creation. That Jesus has showed us, the church, what this new creation looks like. And so therefore, we as the church, as imitators of Christ, we are to walk that out. Paul goes on to say that in this grace-filled life, we have different gifts that all of these gifts are to give you the ability to live out your faith in practical ways that are out of gratitude, grace, love, that abounds, and how we contribute to the well-being of the whole. 
In Romans 12, 6 to 8, he says, having the gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them if in prophecy in proportion to our faith, and if it's in service in our serving. The one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. That as a church, we're called to be the extension of the gospel to those who do not know, but also it's a call for the church to be in unity and the call for oneness. So that is the four movements of the, of the letter. And now we get to Paul's closing remarks, the doxology. In closing, Paul brings it together. And it says, now to him who is able to strengthen you. In the NIV it says establish you. In the NASB it also uses the word establish. Sometimes our English language is too limited in the way that words mean. And so in the Greek, this word, it could mean establish and it could mean strengthen. But what's important is that we know who strengthens us. That we don't do this by ourselves, that it is through God's power and through God's might that we're able to do this, that we don't walk this out by ourselves. Even Jesus said it's impossible for us to do it by ourselves. But through the power of God, we're able to do that. And through the power of God and through his transformative power and through his grace that's given to us, we're able to do this. We're able to be established, to be strengthened. According to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, and this is where it always comes down to. Paul always, always, always brings it back to the person of Jesus. Because Jesus is the centrality of Christian life. That Jesus is what roots all Christians. You see, the Old Testament and the New Testament, when we read these books, sometimes we're just like, well, the Old Testament's more about the character of God and New Testament's about the gospel. But it's not. It's one story. That the Old Testament and the New Testament is woven so intricately together. That is one large story and it is focal, the focal point of the story is Jesus. The focal point of the entirety of the Bible is how Jesus brings God's plan to fulfillment. Jesus is the central event. It's God's plan for the new creation. It's God's plan for us to participate in the renewal and the restoration of humanity. It is only in Jesus that God invites us into a life with him. It is only through the love of God, through the person of Jesus, that is able to transform us, to shape us through his teachings and his example. This is the mystery According to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, 
but now has been disclosed through the prophetic writing that has been made known to all nations, that this mystery is no longer a mystery. That we're not living in this mystery anymore, that we know what the, what, what the purpose of God's plan is. It's now being unveiled. It's been established. It's now what gives us hope. It's what gives us meaning. It's what gives the church purpose. So Paul's like, it's answered. It's answered in this person of Jesus. According to the commands of the eternal God to bring about the obedience This idea of obedience of faith is an interesting one. And if we look at this phrase, obedience of faith, it actually bookends the letter. That Paul starts off the letter in chapter 1, verse 5, talking about his obedience of faith to the Gentiles. And then he ends the letter with, so that we can walk out the obedience of faith. It's not a coincidence. It's intentional. We live in a culture where we really don't like the word obedience, right? Because obedience takes away our control. Obedience takes away our own sense of who we are. Obedience requires us to surrender ourselves and to listen to somebody else tell us what to do, right? So this idea of obedience, this idea of obedience, especially now, it's, it's difficult. It's difficult for us to really come to that place of grasping, like, what is this obedience of faith? Here's what obedience looks like. Obedience of faith is loving your neighbor. Paul spends the first half of this book talking about loving God and establishing our, and rooting ourselves in who God is. And then he goes on and says, now you need to live out this faith. Living in this faith requires us to love our neighbors the way that God loves you. We talked about the golden rule last week, right? Do unto others as you, have, you would have done due to you, others do to you. It's hard because we love ourselves a lot but we don't love others as much as we love ourselves. But that's what God is calling us to do. He calls us to love others with the same generosity, with the same fervency as you would love yourself. He's not even asking you to love others the way that God loves them because that's impossible for you to achieve. He's just calling you to love others the way that you love yourself. 
my kids are very competitive. And I, I only have a couple more years that I could use them in my illustrations, so I could, I'm using them as much as I can. But anytime I give them stuff, right, and if only one is around, I'm like, okay, give this to your brother or give this to your sister. What do they do? What's natural? They take a look at both of them and look at, okay, which one's bigger? Or which one's better? Or which one do I like more? Right? They're always looking at it. And then they'll give the lesser one to their sibling. Right? Sometimes I, I do this to Judah. I don't do it to Faith because Faith, she's, she's a force to be reckoned with. But I tell Judah, okay, give one to Faith. And he, I'll see him looking, and I see the one that he wants. Okay, that one that you're looking at, give that one to Faith. And he'll be like, no, that's the one that I want. I'm like, but if you love your sister, give that one to Faith. And he's just like, he's torn. And I, I torture him in that because my, my son's super sweet, and he's like, he's like, ah, oh, I do love my sister, but I really want this for myself. Faith. That doesn't even give us a second thought. She's like, nope, I'm eating it. That one's for Judah. <laughs> like, it's gone. You can't even get that back. It's like no return. But that's how we are to love our neighbors. That we give them what we want, not our leftovers. That we give them and we do unto them what we want and not what is out of our extra. Does that make sense? that that's the obedience of faith. That Paul talks about his obedience of faith was to go to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. Do you think Paul wanted to do that? No, Paul is the most Jewish person you could get. The most Jewish person you could find. Paul is this unique person. Like The more you get to know about Paul, the more it uncovers how complicated this man is, right? He's a Jewish man born in Tarsus, so he's not born in Israel, so he gets Roman citizenship, right? He's raised in Tarsus, but then he gets trained under one of the top Pharisees. And then from there, he's called to be this, this guy that arrests, Pharise arrests Christians and kills Christians. He becomes this, it's not a zealot because the zealots were a completely different group of people, but he becomes this person that basically goes after Christians. Like the brutality that, he, that, that, that Paul exerted on Christians was immense, but yet he gets converted and he becomes this champion for the gospel, but not just a champion of the gospel for his people, but for the rest of the world. People where he probably didn't want to associate with. If you guys understand Pharisaical life, the, the Pharisees, when they walked through the streets, they would hold in their cloaks like this, right? Why? Because they didn't want the unclean to touch them. that they saw themselves as the Jewish, the most Jewish people of all Jews. 
that they hold on to the Jewish laws, that they practice all the Jewish things. And Paul is called out of the obedience of faith to go to the Gentiles to preach the gospel. The ones that are unclean, the ones that don't eat kosher, the ones that don't practice the, the Shabbat, the ones that don't know what the Shema is, the ones that, that, that bring in other gods into our belief system, Paul is called to minister to them. That's an obedience of faith. That is stepping outside of what we know and who we are and going into places that God calls you to go into. The book of Romans is bookend by this phrase. Because it's a call for us as a church to do something that is extraordinary, that is so outside of our own comfort zone. Deborah came and talked to me this morning, and I know I didn't ask for your permission to share this, but I'm going to anyways. But Deborah and the outreach team, the, the compassion team, went out to do ministry yesterday. And uh, they got to talk to a lot of homeless people. They even brought someone to Christ. Amazing, right? But everybody they talk to are the desolates. The ones that nobody wants for their presence to be with in their homes. They're drug dealers, they're homeless, they're drug users. But it takes a compassion that we could only find from Jesus to move us to a place where we say yes and we go and we speak the truth into those people. I do believe that our church has a call for that. But we're not going to start seeing those people come through these doors until this church is ready. But it requires this church to stretch our faith. It requires this church to go beyond what we're comfortable with. It requires this church to say, I don't understand, but in faith I will obey. That's what obedience of faith is. It's not knowing the answers to the solutions, but knowing that God has the answers for the solution. It's knowing that God, the creator of the universe, knows the situations better than we do. But he's using us as a people to connect them to God. We're trans we as a church will be transformed through this obedience of faith because grace calls us to obey. 
To obey is a response born out of the love of God. Our love for him is demonstrating through our faith that we could trust whatever God is redeeming. When we're able to surrender to God's grace, it begins to transform and shape our lives and our actions. The book of Romans is a loud call for us to love God and to love our neighbors through the power of grace. And then in verse 27 it says, to the only wise God be glory forevermore. It means that the way that we live is in direct relationship to the glory of God. That as you walk out the way that you live, allow others to see God's glory. Your generosity, your compassion, your heart, your kindness is what brings God glory. had this illustration and Alex stole it from me during our prayer time this morning. But I'm going to use it anyways, Alex. (laughs) When we throw a stone into a calm lake, what happens? We see ripples. Right? When we throw a stone out, we see a little splash, and then the ripples come, and the ripples grow bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. The further away that it goes, the bigger the ring becomes. The place where the stone hits the water is your revelation of grace. It is that that place of impact on the water is the disturbance in your life that you needed. It's that moment when you know that you're now in the center of God's grace and love. And that ripple that comes from that is a result of that impact. It's what people see. It's what people experience long after the point of impact. That is a picture of the glory of God. It's a picture of the glory of God through your life that others see, and as they trace those ripples back to the point of impact, they get to see God's love. Grace empowers us to live something that is far greater than ourselves, it is to live out the impossible in a place that is grounded in love. It is in grace that we find God and where we find ourselves. It's our grounding place. It's our solid foundation. Grace is what we need to be God's people and to be his church. Grace gives us the ability to live out the obedience in faith. And that obedience looks like loving our neighbors. Paul starts his letter and ends his letter in the same sentiment in which the church is the conduit of God's love to everyone around us. So today, 
as a church, we can live out to the only wise God, be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you and we're just in awe of who you are. So Lord, as we lift up our eyes, Lord, may you give us your grace, empower us to do your work. Allow us to see the work that you're doing in our lives and the way that you're transforming us and the way that you empower us. Lord, allow us to bask in your love so that we are able to extend your love. So Lord, as a church, I want to come before you humbly and just say, as your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So Father God, we give you all our worship, all our praise. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, just a couple thoughts on what John left us with here on the book of Romans. You know, the first is that God cleared our debts. But he didn't do that so that we can take the excess that we now have and pour it back into ourselves. He cleared our debt so that we would be unburdened and we can go out and help others see their debts cleared. Right? He, you know, you think about if you, if you get given a great gift, as John described it, and all your debts are cleared, do you sit there and do nothing with it? No, you take that and you go and you spend it. You go do great things with it because you know grace and you now know mercy. You know, Paul could speak on grace and mercy because he had experienced it in such a powerful way. And, um, you know, so I just want to say that as a word of, of activation. You know, you are all cleared, and that means we go forward. We don't stay where we are. We go forward, and we start to think of others. And what this made me think of is Jonah. You know, Paul, Paul took the word that God had given him and he just started to go out to people. He couldn't wait to share it. But I think a lot of us are a little bit more like Jonah in that God gives us a word and says, I want you to go do this. And we say, that's a really cool idea. I don't like those people. I'm going to go this way. And God intervened and brought him back. And the thing that I do love about Jonah is he knew the mercy of God. He knew God was going to save that city. And then he had literally a biblical hissy fit outside the walls of the city afterwards. And I think sometimes that's where we get stuck in is that we, we take for granted the grace and the mercy that we have. But it's not ours. It's the Lord's. And so, you know, we need to take that forward. We need to take these great gifts that, that God has given to us. You know, Paul called on teaching, exhortation, giving. These are things that all of us have. And, and we need to activate these, and we need to take them out to a city that is just desperate for it, absolutely desperate for it. And, you know, John talked about the ripples, and, you know, John's ripples were going out. It was about our influence going out. My ripples were actually the reverse. They were coming in. And that may sound like a contradiction, but it's not. 
the, the ripples that I saw coming in were the internal battle of how we bring ourselves, we take all the external stuff and we bring it into Jesus, into the center of who we are. It becomes our priority, it becomes our core, our foundation, it becomes the center, right? Then that same foundation at the same time is going out through our influence to the people. And, you know, that may, again, sound like a contradiction, ripples going in, going out, but I just kind of kind of put it to you like this. Do you trust God or do you trust in your own understanding? Because I believe ripples can go in and out. You know, we hear in the Old Testament of, of God stopping the sun for a day and people will try to describe it as like, well, it's just they felt like it took a day because they were so busy. No, I believe God stopped the earth for a day because I believe he has that power and I believe that anything in his creation, if he wants to pause it, he can pause it. Anything he wants to accelerate, he can accelerate it. This is why we believe in healing. This is why we believe in miracles, because God can come into the physical world and he can change the timeline, because it's all about his timeline. So Lord, we just pray to you this morning. We just thank you for the book of Romans. We just thank you for a book that thousands of years later still gives us such a great call to understand your mercy and your grace. It gives us this understanding of gifts that you have given to each of us. And Lord, you did not give us these gifts to hide them. You did not give these, these gifts to sit at our homes, but Lord, you gave us these gifts to talk to others, to explain about how great you are. You gave us these gifts to go out into a world that so desperately needs you. And Lord, we don't want to be like Jonah. We don't want to run the other way. Lord, we want to be like Paul. We want to embrace a faith. Lord, we always talk about the faith of Paul, but it's he just knew that mercy. He knew that grace. So Lord, give us understanding of how great your mercy and grace on us is. Give us an understanding so that we can explain it to others because you know the depths of each of our heart. You know how much each of us has fallen. Some of us wear our sins publicly. Some of us hide them so deep we don't even like to talk about them. But, Lord, you know them and you have wiped them all away. And so, Lord, on that clean slate is where we step forward. We are unburdened by our sin. The chains are broken. And so, Lord, we want to walk forward. We want to go forth into our community. We want to go forth into our families. We want to go forth wherever you send us, our workplace. And, Lord, we want to declare how great you are over our lives. So, Lord, we just pray all of this this morning. We just thank you for this time of worship, prayer, of teaching. And, Lord, we give it all to you because you are worthy of it all. Amen. Go with God.